for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. So we have been going through the story of the nation of Israel in this second book of Samuel. And as we've been going through, we've been seeing the nation take a different form. We've been seeing David as their leader, King David, and he has been an amazing king. He has helped free them from the oppression of other nations. He has helped expand the nation to the biggest that it's ever been. He's built the capital city of Jerusalem to the height of what it has ever been before as well. And the nation is doing really well. But last week, last week, David messed up in a huge way. And usually that's how a movie goes. Like everything's going really well, it's happy, then something happens. Like a tragedy happens or a a terrible thing happens. And what happened last week was this. David, rather than pursuing God and following what God wanted him to do, which was go out with the army and fight for the Lord and fight for the nation, he stayed home. He sent the army out and he said, I'm just going to chill here at the palace. And that led to trouble because he wasn't pursuing what God wanted for him. It led to him one night getting bored and he wanders up on his roof because he can't sleep and he's looking out over the kingdom and down below in one of the neighboring houses near the palace, he sees on the roof a woman bathing. And when he sees her, rather than just bouncing his eyes away and be like, whoops, that's terrible, and keep walking and going on with his life, he looks and he becomes tempted and that temptation leads and grows even stronger. And rather than ignore the temptation and move on, he focuses on the temptation. He investigates and he asks, who is that girl? Now, he had no reason to ask that question, but he inquired about it. He investigated it. Remember last week we talked about the kid with the Red Rider BB gun? And he gets closer and he's just looking at it. He's just picking it up. He's just aiming it. He's not firing it yet. But he's getting closer to that temptation and closer. And David does the same thing where he gets closer and he investigates. Then he invites the temptation to his home. He invites this girl Bathsheba to his own home, into his palace. And remember, this girl Bathsheba was married already to one of his own mighty men named Uriah. He was already, she was already married. And he invites her into his home. He invites that temptation into his home. And he eventually commits a sin against God and he sins against God. And he ends up having sex with this woman who is not his wife and who is someone else's wife. Makes a huge mistake. Then he finds out that she is pregnant and he realizes he is in huge trouble. So we're going to follow out now. David made a huge sin and sinned against God. He wasn't pursuing God. He fell into temptation. And now we're going to see how does David react now that he has sinned and made a huge mistake against God. What is he going to do now that he just sinned? Let's read about that here. So it starts off, and when David finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, he freaks out because he realizes, wait a second, hold on, hold on, this is terrible, okay? Uriah is off at war. Bathsheba is at home. If she gets pregnant and Uriah comes back and sees a baby, he'll be like, wait a second. What? I was at war and you were... Wait a second. He's going to find out that it wasn't his baby. And he's going to know that something happened and he's going to investigate and he might find that it was me. So David realizes this and he comes up with a plan and he starts by trying to hide his sin through deceit. He calls for Uriah and has Uriah brought back from the battlefield. And he asks him some questions. How's the battle going? How's the fighting okay? And he goes, well, look, since you're here, why don't you take a week vacation Go home, you know, watch some TV, just hang out, relax, get in your own bed. You've probably been out fighting for the time. Be with your wife. Just take it easy for a while. And Uriah hears this, and David's hope is that he'll go home 
And then when uh, he leaves and comes back and his wife has a baby, he'll be like, oh, well, that's my baby. But check this out. Here's what Uriah responds to David in verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my home and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah's a boss. Uriah essentially is a soldier and a man of character. And he says, King, thank you for your offer. But my men are out in battle. Men, men are all fighting. They are sleeping in tents. They're away from their families. They're away from their homes. They don't have a comfortable bed to sleep in. Far be it from me to go to my home and enjoy a week kind of vacation while they're all fighting. No, sir, I want to go back to battle. What a stud muffin. Does he want to go home and be with his wife? Of course he does. But he's like, you know what? No, if my men and my bros can't do this, I can't either. I'm going to sacrifice as they sacrifice. Wants to be with his men. There's a brotherhood here. And it's amazing how David is trying to hide his sin and Uriah is standing here as a, a former example of courage and an example of character. Well, David's deceit doesn't work, so he takes another route. Read with me down here in verse 14. It says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, who was the general, and sent it with Uriah, because Uriah was going back to battle. In it, he wrote, listen to this, Put Uriah in the front lines where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So Uriah is going back to battle, back to fight, back to see his commanding general, Joab. David goes, hold on, I got a letter for you. Take this letter. And the letter that Uriah carries back without opening it, because he was faithful not to open it, to the general says, when you get into the fighting, put Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, in the fiercest of the fighting. Then, when he gets really bad, retreat and leave him alone so that he will die. Essentially, David is saying, I want you to murder Uriah. And Uriah is carrying this note. How, how crazy, how ironic. He's carrying this note that says, I want you to kill Uriah, and he carries it and delivers it to the general. So the general reads it, he goes through with it, and Uriah dies in battle. So read with me now in verse 26 what happens after that. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But listen to this. But the thing David had done despised the Lord. So David starts off and he tries to deceive Uriah and hide his sin. Then he starts off and he tries to destroy Uriah and kill him so that there's no evidence of what he's done. And then he goes a step further and he marries Bathsheba to hide the fact that she's now pregnant. He marries Bathsheba so that everyone will be like, oh, it's just his own son. Look at the extremities to which David went and continued to sin and move forward in his sin to hide it, to cover up what he had done wrong. You see, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how, how the extremes that we go to to hide our mistakes or to hide our sin. And here we see David willing to lie, to kill, to deceive in order to hide his own sin. And he probably thinks at this point, I got away with it. Man, nobody knows. Okay, Uriah is dead. I got married to Bathsheba, so when she has my kid, everyone will think it's my kid. And this is perfect. No one will know what I did wrong. And his goal is maybe if I, you know how like if you have something like gross, maybe rather than like putting it in the trash can, you'll like maybe sweep it under a rug 
Or if you have like trash in your room, maybe you'll just put it under your bed rather than clean it. And you'll think, man, no one will know about it. This is perfect. I just put this nasty banana peel under my bed and no one will know until it starts to smell and the stench begins to radiate out. And mom's like, what is in your room? Uh, nothing. And you're trying to hide and mask that thing that you did wrong. Well, David is trying to hide his sin. He's trying to hide it from other people. And he's trying to hide it from himself. He's trying not to think about it or not focus on it. And he thinks, maybe if I just ignore this sin, maybe if I just bury it deep down enough, maybe if I just tell enough lies and do enough things, then no one will know this happened and I can forget about it and move on with my life. But that's not how sin, wor- excuse me, that's not how sin works. Sin festers and it infects and it grows and it gets worse and in the darkness it grows stronger. You cannot hide sin. Let me explain it this way. Let's say you're on the bus and it's a Wednesday morning, okay? And the night before had been Taco Tuesday. You love Taco Tuesday. You eat a lot of tacos. You like tacos, okay? Mom does a good job. And you're on the bus, it's the morning, and you're just kind of tired. And then all of a sudden, without paying attention, you uh, pass gas. Boom. Done. It was like one of of those silent ones, so no one really knows what happened. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, people are going to find out that was me. They're going to know that it was me that had Taco Tuesday and just did that. And so you try and cover up that stench that is radiating like a bubble, just radiating out from where you are. And so you go about different ways. Maybe you open the window of the bus. You're like, oh, man, it's kind of it's hot in here, right? And you're like, it's freezing cold. What are you talking about? And then you open the window, roll it down, hoping the scent will get out there. Or maybe, maybe you do the ultimate terrible thing. And you throw one of your buddies in the bus. <laughs> Frank, was that you? Dude, am I right? It was probably Frank. Frank smells bad anyway. Frank, dude, that smells terrible. What's wrong with you? And you try to hide the fact that it was you. Or maybe you play the ignorance game and you're like, okay, I'm just going to read my book, okay? And maybe no one will know. If I just read my book carefully enough, no one will know it was me. See, I'm just reading my book. I'm not over here passing gas. I'm just reading my book. Just reading my book. Just reading my book. Anyone notice? No, no. And you can see like the people's faces like, oh, oh, and they like start to cough a little bit. You know, and they're getting really nasty. But if you ignore it, or you try and hide it or mask it, it's still there, and the fact still remains. You were the one that passed gas. It still remains. But here's the fact. We try and hide our sin, or mask our sin, or cover up our sin, but whatever we do, it still exists. No matter how much we cover it or try and hide it, it still is there, and it still happened. We can't deny that. And the truth is we know it in our hearts that what we've done when we sin is wrong. And that we have messed up and we have sinned against God and we know that and we try and bury that thought deep in our hearts and we're like, if I can just hide the sin, maybe I'll forget why I feel guilty. Maybe I'll forget this, this feeling of anxiety and stress that I feel. I can just bury the sin deeper within me. And if I can just hide it from other people, then I, I'll, I can forget about it and move on. And David tries to hide his sin. But here's the problem. End of the verse, it says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. We can't hide things from God. We try, but we can't. The next thing that David does is David hides from God. He hides himself from God. And here's why he does this. You ever felt shame when you've done something wrong and you've, you've tried to you know, hide from your parents or you've tried to hide from your teacher? Well, my, my dog does this sometimes. I, I have a, a miniature toy poodle. My parents have it. I don't have one in my house. But in my parents' house, they have a miniature toy poodle. It's like 
five or four pounds, and it's named Napoleon, and he is the devil. I will say it right now. He likes to bark and bite, and he's mean sometimes, and you just want to cuddle him, and then he just growls at you. You know, he's terrible. And so we know when he has gone to the bathroom in the house and not outside. And the reason we know is this. If we're hanging out in the living room, we're just hanging out, watching TV or whatever, and we see him hiding in the corner, shivering, we know what he's done. And he knows what he's done. And he knows, because he's going to the bathroom in the house, he's like, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, they're going to find out. Oh, i got to go hide. And so he goes in the corner, and he, like, hides behind, like, one of our plants. But, I mean, he kind of whimpers so you can hear him. So he's back here, like, <laughs> he's looking around like this, like, identifying our faces. And then we always start off the same way we go. Napoleon, what did you do? And then maybe like a little pee comes out because they're scared. And then he's like, oh, I didn't do anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, we go over to him and we put him in his crate. And he kind of growls at us when we come over because he knows we're about to punish him. And he goes, and it builds. And you, you wonder how much energy can come out of a five-pound creature. But we put him in his crate. And then we go on this lovely scavenger hunt. And sure enough, we always find what he's done wrong, uh, usually hidden somewhere evilly. And uh, we find it. Sure enough, we find out his sin, his mistake, and it stinks, and we have to take care of it. Luckily, he's pretty small, so it's not terrible. But still, we take care of it, cast it out, flush it down the toilet. But here's the deal. Napoleon believes that if he can just hide from us, we'll never know. We'll never know. Like we won't smell the stench in our house and think, hmm, I wonder which family member did this. Cabot, Hudson? No, Napoleon did it, okay? We know it was the, the, the dog. There's no question as to that. And it's ironic and we laugh, but here is David. And he's hiding from God. There's no record of David praying, writing a psalm, going to the temple, worshiping God, talking to God's prophets during the time from when he sinned to when he's confronted by his sin. David is trying to keep himself away from God. And the reason is because if he knows, like my dog, if he knows that he's confronted, he might get in trouble. He's ashamed of what he's done. And he, he doesn't want to be reminded of what he's done that's wrong. Our dog doesn't want to be near us because he knows we might punish him. He's ashamed of what he's done. He knows what he's done. He knows it's wrong. And so he wants to stay away from us. And he hides. But the irony is he can't hide from us. And here we are, and we sin sometimes, and we try and stay away from God when we sin. Because we're ashamed of what we've done. We know it's wrong. We know there should be a consequence to our sin. And we don't want to admit it or confront it, so we try and stay away from God. Maybe sometimes, maybe you, you sin or you do something wrong, and you go to extreme lengths to stay away from God. Let me explain. Maybe there was a spelling test, and you wrote the answers right on your forearm. To the words, you wrote the words and you kind of covered it up and, and you try and hide your sin at first. You, know, you hide your arm from your teacher or, or you try and wash it off in the shower but then you use permanent marker and it's really hard to get off and your mom's like, why is the word rebellion written on your arm? And quintessential, why are those words? Uh, nothing, I'm just trying to remember these words. Anyway, and you try and hide it from people but then you try and hide it from God. What I mean is this, maybe you get home and your, your Bible's on your nightstand and you got to touch it and you're like, oh, whoa, hold on. God might strike me down if I touch that Bible. Like, he might lightning bolt me for cheating on my test. I don't know if I want to touch that. Or, or maybe you come into church. And I remember whenever I had done something wrong and I came into church and I saw my youth pastor. And he'd be like, hey, what's up, Aaron? I'm like, oh, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. He knows exactly what I did wrong. And I'd be afraid that if I touched him, he'd be like, oh, I know what you did, Miss Askew's fourth grade class. I'm so sorry. We're going to have to talk about this, talk to your parents. I, I was just afraid that he'd find out somehow. 
Or I was always afraid when I went to worship. I'm like, oh man, if I start singing, God will know that I'm in church and then he'll know maybe that I did something wrong. I'm just going to kind of sit the next few songs out, you know, and just kind of be quiet until I do something really good. And then when I do something good, I can talk to God then. But it's this cycle where we think we need to distance ourselves from God. We don't want to pray. Maybe, maybe like you've cheated on that test that day and then that night at dinner. Your dad's like, hey, why don't you pray for us tonight? Huh? What? Huh? Pray? What is the, I don't know how to pray? What? I don't want to pray, Dad. I don't want to pray. And you're afraid that if you start talking to God, God might talk back and say, hey, why have you been ignoring me? Hey, what, what have you done? And we're afraid to be confronted by God for what we've done that's wrong. We fear that. So we would rather ignore him. We would rather hide from him. We would rather run from him than go to him because we're afraid of the consequences of our sin. See, when we sin and we mess up, we know we've done wrong. Sure, we might try and justify it. We might try and hide it, make excuses. But we, we know we've done something wrong. We can try and bury it in our souls and ignore God, but, but we still know that we've done something wrong. And every time we look at God, we realize even stronger, I've sinned, I've done something wrong, I've done something wrong. And it grows in us. And Satan loves this. And here's why Satan loves this. Listen to this. Satan loves when you try and hide yourself from God because then you're weaker and then you're more susceptible to sin. While David was hiding himself from God, Satan said, oh man, dude, God is going to totally smite you if you do something wrong. You should totally lie to hide your sin. You should totally do murder Uriah to hide from your sin. You should totally. And he was leading him further and further away from God and further and further into sin because he was weak, because he was away from God. And Satan does the same thing with you and I. He says, man, if you go to God right now, he's going to smite you. He's going to hate you. He's going to abandon you. You need to get away from God and get further from him. And then as you get further and further from God, you grow weaker and weaker. And it's easier for Satan to tempt you and lead you into more sin. And the more that you sin, the more Satan feels powerful. And the stronger that sin grows in the darkness and it grips your throat and it chokes you out of air and you become helpless and you become resigned to the idea that your sin is so great that you have no power over it and you are helpless. Helpless. Satan loves that. God, however, did not want to leave David with his sin, did not want to leave him feeling helpless, and did not want him to bury his sin, <coughs> but he brings it to light. After David thought he had gotten away with it, in chapter 12 what happens is a prophet of God named Nathan confronts David. And he comes to David and he says, David, I, something has happened I need to tell you about. David goes, what is it? Tell me. And he goes, well, there was, there was a poor man and he had this little lamb and he loved that lamb. And he took care of it, and, and, he lived, and it lived in his own home, and he took care of it like it was his own child. And then there was a rich man. And this rich man had many different animals and was very wealthy and had a lot. And, and all this poor man had was this little lamb. And the rich man came, and when he saw the lamb, he took it for himself. And he slaughtered it, and he ate it, and fed it to his friends, and fed it to his family, rather than slaughtering and killing one of his own lambs. And he took... He took from the poor man what was his. And David stands up and in anger says, how dare that man? He had so much. Why would he take from the man who had so little? How dare he steal from him? He deserves to die and he deserves to pay back four times of what he took. And Nathan looks him dead in the eye and says, David, 
You are the man that I'm talking about. Uriah had very little, but he had a wife whom he loved. And he gave everything that he had to. And you had so much. You had a palace. You had a kingdom. You had your own wife. And yet you looked at what he had and wanted it for yourself. And you stole it from him. And you slaughtered him to take it for yourself. You have sinned against God. And God knows. You cannot hide your sin from God, David. Talk about a gut check. Talk about a plot twist. He's like, that guy deserves to die. And Nathan's like, dude, you're that guy. Awkward. I mean, that really takes a shift. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like just a total reversal. But, but check this out here, guys. David tries to hide and bury his sin. But at some point, all sin comes to light in this life or the next. David tried to run from God, but you can't hide from God. He's kind of God. He's everywhere, and he knows everything. So you can't really run from God. Be the worst person to play tag against. I mean, he'd be everywhere. Like, tag, you're running that way, tag, you're right. I mean, this is, I can do this all day. He's God, he can kind of win. And so, check this out, guys. Here's the deal David now has to react. God has caught him in his sin, God knows what he's done. He's tried to hide it, he's tried to hide himself from God. How is he going to react? Is he going to react angrily and say, Well, you know what, God? I wanted it, so I took it. So, there. I don't want to follow you anymore. Is he going to react and make excuses? But, but this person did this and she was on the roof and I, 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 I was defenseless against Satan and help me. How is he going to react? Well, he reacts very simply with a response in chapter 12, verse 13. And he responds and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. He says, I, not someone else, me. I have sinned. I have messed up. I have done wrong against God. It's my fault. Guys, we should have one reaction when we sin. When we sin, we need to repent. Do not hide your sin, but repent of your sin. Don't hide from God. Run to God. And fall at his feet and say, God, I messed up. I am sorry. Forgive me. David has a response. When David sins against God, in Psalm 51, he wrote this poem. And he wrote this as a reaction to realizing, I have sinned, I have messed up, and here's his reaction. Listen to this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and cleanse me. For I know my sin, and my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved justified when you speak and justified when you judge. And he goes even further and says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in my inmost place. David is speaking to God and he's saying, God, I messed up. God, I've been messing up since the day that I was born and I will keep messing up till the day that I die. I sin." All the time, and God, I'm sorry, I have messed up. And then he says, God, forgive me. God, forgive what I have done wrong. Please. Don't, don't give me what I deserve, because I deserve to be destroyed. I deserve to be punished for my sin. Guys, the under, understand this. The punishment for sin is death. All of us who sin, and that is everyone, deserves to die for their sin. And David says, look, I know that I deserve to die, 
But please, will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Will you remove my sin? Will you take the punishment of death away from me? Will you give me life? Will you create in me a new heart so that I won't continue to sin? Please, help me. Here's the crazy part, guys. God answers his prayer. Anyone, anyone, regardless of how great their sin is, regardless of what they've done wrong, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and says, God, I repent, I have sinned, I messed up, I'm sorry, I want to change, help me, anyone who runs to God will be forgiven. We don't need to hide from God because if we come to him and fall on our knees and say, God, I messed up, he'll say, it's okay, I forgive you. Every time. We don't need to hide our sin. We need to expose it so it doesn't grow stronger in the darkness and fester in our hearts. We can expose it and say, God, take this and destroy it. And he'll say, I will. We need to block out the voice of Satan that is whispering in your ear every time that you sin. Man, that's it. Man, you're done for. Man, you have messed up so bad that God could never forgive you. God will never love you for what you've done. You are so dirty. You are so pathetic. You are so, such a failure that God will never take you back now for what you have done. It's over. He cannot love you anymore. And he whispers that to you, but Jesus calls out. And he says, I love you, and I will love you now, and I will love you forever. I have known every mistake you will make, and, and I still love you in spite of it. I actually came to earth. I died on a cross and bled my blood for you that you might live, that I might be able to remove your sin, remove your death, and give you righteousness that you may spend eternity forever in heaven with me. I love you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Don't hide from me. Come to me when you have a problem. Don't hide your sin. Tell me about it and we can confront it and combat it together. I love you no matter what you do. I will always love you. Guys, when we sin, when we mess up, listen to this, when we sin, when we mess up, do not hide your sin. Do not run from God. Come to God with a heart of repentance that you've messed up and say, God, I repent. I acknowledge I messed up. And I want to change. That's what repentance means. To see that I messed up and desire to change. I repent. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And he will. Every time. All we need to do is ask. Because the moment that we repent and we believe, we are forgiven of our sin. Now, as Christians, the moment that we repent of our sin and we become a Christian and we pray and say, Jesus, I messed up, I'm sorry, forgive me. The moment we do that, we are saved, and we don't need to continually do it. We don't need to go and confess it to another person in order to be saved. It's not like, well, I sinned, and now I'm dirty, but now I'm clean again because I told somebody, and then I sinned, and then I messed up, and I'm dirty, and I'm clean. That's not how it works. You are clean forever. But we as Christians should continue to repent of our sins so that we might change. We need to continually come to God and say, God, I know you know about this, but, but I need to change. I need to get better. I need to stop this. Help me. And he will help you, and he will love you, and he will forgive you. So what I want us to do right now is take a moment.
to repent. Everybody, let's, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment. Andrew's going to come up and he's just going to strum some music for us. And here's what I want us to do. We've got a few minutes left. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. And the opportunity is this. We want you guys to spend time where you can have a time of repentance. Maybe last week when I was talking about sexual temptation, maybe something came up and, and you realized a sin in your life that you need to confess to God right now. He already knows it, but, but you need to confess it to God and say, God, I've been hiding this sin. God, I've been burying this in my heart, hiding it from people. God, I need your forgiveness. I'm sorry. Or maybe there's someone that you've been treating terribly and you know it in your heart and you need to pray, God, help me to love this person. I'm sorry I messed up. Help me to change. Help me to repent. Or maybe you've been running from God and you need to be honest with him and just say, God, I've been hiding from you. I've been running from you. Please forgive me. Please love me. I want to give you guys just two or three minutes right now. Andrew's just going to strum. And just pray to God. Be honest with him. Say, God, show me where I've messed up. And then ask God to forgive you and to change you. Let's just take a few moments right now and do that. keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Remember that as Christians, when we mess up, we should not hide our sin and run from God, but we need to run to Him and ask Him to forgive us, and He will. And we can feel a freedom from our sin and a joy. As Christians, remember that and continually repent. Every day, you get a chance keeping your heads bowed and eyes closed. If, if tonight while I've been talking, or this morning while I've been talking, you've been listening and you felt a burden of your sin and you've realized you've never become a Christian, you've, you've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus gives you and you've never prayed to receive him as your savior and begin a relationship with him and you want to do that. And tonight, if you've recognized you have sinned against him and you've messed up as every person has and you want to be forgiven of that sin so that, that you might not have to suffer the punishment of hell, but you can enjoy the freedom of heaven forever when we die. If you want to be forgiven, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. 
The important thing with this prayer is that it doesn't save you. What saves you is Jesus and what saves you is belief in Him and repentance of your sin. So today, if you want to become a Christian, you want to be saved from your sin, just read this or recite this prayer with me right now in your head and pray this with me right now. God, I have sinned and I'm sorry. I have done wrong Please forgive me. I believe that your son Jesus came to earth and died for my sin and that he rose from the dead. Please let me live a life that honors you, that glorifies you. I love you. And God, I know you love me too. Thank you for what you've done for me. God, I pray over all these students. I pray you bless them tonight or this morning. Just be with them. Allow them to have a wonderful Sunday, Lord. Keep all of them safe. Help us all to pursue you, to love you, to repent of our sin, to not hide our sin or or, or to not hide from you, but to run to you, Lord, and to fall on our face before you when we mess up and know that we can rise forgiven and cared for as daughters and sons of God. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, guys. If you prayed, I'd love to talk to you. I had a Bible for you I'd love to give to you. Otherwise, hang out here. I'll let you know when you're free to go.